No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Okay, terrific. Language and writing were made available. He'll teach you everything. I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. Hey, I'm John. This is John Helps You Write Better. So today we're going to write better. But first, a small story about technology. Last week I had prepared uh, a workshop for I think it was Thursday evening, and it was supposed to, it, it's one of it's a big deal. It was a big deal to me. I had spent three or four days just going over the material over and over and over again, really making sure it was going to be like hyper detailed. The topic was every sentence is a camera part three, which if you've sort of tracked everything I've done, every sentence is a camera is kind of like the big thing I'm known for. And part three was finally going to tackle like examples where you could see what writers had written and and I had highlighted certain words and highlighted punctuation to really show you that it's possible to transform text or suggest in text something imaginative or something evocative. I was really, really proud of it. And Independent from that, maybe you've you've never noticed this or you've you've never like heard tell of it. Um, over the last two-ish years, I guess, every once in a while, I'll turn this microphone on, I'll turn the roadcaster on, and sometimes the connection is kind of shitty. Sometimes it sounds very mechanical or spotty, or uh, it sounds like it's stuck in slow mo. And I always assumed in the recording software, it's because I I mashed a button or the cat walk ac- walked across the keyboard, and it was just you know a one time thing. And then I'd I'd restarted, and it would be fine. The other element here worth pointing out is that at the time I'm recording it, I can't hear the problem. It sounds fine to me because it's just me and my voice in my headphones. So it doesn't. I have no idea what it's like on the other end. So Thursday comes and I launch into this workshop and I'm fired up. I'm working on that mix of confidence and nerves. I'm really putting the whole thing together. It's going great. I think it's going great. I'm knocking out the slides. I'm, you know, it's it's a it's a Thursday night workshop, so my audience really isn't big. It's gonna be it's gonna do better. I tell myself it's gonna do better on rewatches and listens on the podcast. It'll be it'll be fine. So I'm going and I'm going and I'm going. And then all of a sudden somebody pipes up in chat, hey, uh, your your mic's off. And I look and I'm like, well, my mic's not off. And then apparently it was cutting in and out and sounding mechanical, a synthesis of all the problems I had ever experienced with it. And immediately, like, like getting just drenched with a hose, I was discouraged and frustrated. It's It's not chat's fault. It's not, you know... Um, anybody else's fault but me, the wiring, the software, whatever else. But uh, I was really discouraged and really, really put off and really irritated because I had worked really hard and now the thing I had planned isn't going the way I wanted. In fact, it's it's not going out at all. So I stopped the stream and I go grab the recording and I go listen to it. And sure enough, it sounds like I'm driving, I'm in a fast food drive through restaurant at like, 10 miles away from the speaker during a hurricane. It sounds terrible. And I'm, I'm agitated and I'm angry. 
and I compromise. I decide, okay, well, I'll I'll jump on the Discord and I'll I'll record it straight, just audio version it up, just get the material out, and somebody somewhere will listen to it. And sure enough, somebody somewhere did listen to it, and they were very appreciative. But uh, it, I, I was angry at that point. So I, I lost all that enthusiasm. I lost all that focus. Uh, the problem with doing it in Discord is that it's entirely only audio. So the particular kind of prep I had done went right out the damn window. And overall, I was left very just pissed off. But in, in the course of going through it in audio, just for the sake of going through it because I had been rehearsing it all damn day, it occurred to me that there is an audio version of it. And given the number of parts, I can slice it now into this week's podcasts. So today, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we're going to cover one-fifth of what the workshop would have been. Now, granted, um, you're not going to see the text, so I'm going to have to kind of work around the lack of visuals, but that's fine because I know how to describe sort of the concept underneath it in audio. Hooray! So really, what we're hoping for is just that the audio holds out. Here we go. Here's part one of Every Sentence is a Camera, part three, transforming text through some key elements. Up first, dialogue. And the reason why dialogue is going first is because I think it's an element that a lot of writers can immediately see. And it's a lot, it's a, it's a thing, probably one of the, the main three things that writers swear up and down they do really, really well. Now, this is not always true. Sometimes writers do it well, and sometimes writers do it abysmally while thinking they're doing it well. And it's, it's worth pointing out the, the two sort of rules that need to govern your dialogue, whether it's yelling at each other in a fight scene, or it's two people talking, or it's a monologue, or whatever. There are two primary rules and one behavior you need to really get into your head to understand how to turn people talking into something somebody else can imagine. Because remember, in every sentence is a camera, our primary directive is to make sure that we can imagine what's on the page, that it gives us a cinematic quality and a cinematic experience as though it is happening all around us the entire time, as if we were on Star Trek's holodeck and we could just reach out and touch it. Not that it's sort of clear and we understand it, but that we feel immersed in it. So two rules and one behavior to lock in your dialogue and improve it. Let's not even call it a behavior. It's a, it's a writer habit. But two rules first. Rule number one, dialogue is a reaction by characters to what's been happening and or what they're feeling. The reason characters talk is to express how they feel relative to stuff that's been going on. Whether that's the car that just blew up and holy shit, can you believe the size of that fireball? Or whether they've been simmering on the frustration of, oh my God, you never let me do the thing I want to do. Or something like that. Or it's just the, the sense of frustration about, oh my God, how are we going to defuse the bomb in time? Whatever it is, dialogue is a character's reaction to whatever context you've created. If you haven't set up context or if you've got your characters talking about the sort of big picture plot that they haven't even gotten to yet, there's no real context for it. It's sort of like me telling you, you know, 
probably on Thursday, if it doesn't snow too much, I would really, really like to go out and treat myself to some lunch. That is such a speculative thing that it's not really about the lunch and it's not really about the possibility of snow. The underlying thing that's driving me, the thing I'm reacting to, is the idea that I've been cooped up in the house for so long. But that's unclear without the context of knowing John's been cooped up in the house so long. You've got to drill into what the character is thinking and feeling because that's the resource you're drawing from when you make them talk. Without that, without that sort of understanding, your talking's almost always going to feel really, really stiff and forced. And nine times out of ten, when it gets that forced, somebody somewhere is going to decide to start talking about the plot. And plot doesn't live in dialogue. I think I covered that in, in Every Sentence is a Camera Part 2. But plot doesn't live in dialogue because dialogue is inactive. It's a reaction, so the word action, I guess, comes up. But if I'm talking about doing a thing, I'm not doing the thing. I'm just talking about it. That distinction, I think, gets lost on a lot of people because they watch a lot of television. They watch a lot of streaming media. They watch a lot of cartoons. They watch a lot of movies. They watch a lot of shows where characters are talking and the visual, co you know, the visual components are handled by the camera. They can just see it. So the talking gets to be the thing that prompts the laugh track and the laugh track, you know, turns them into rabbits and they press the pellet and get the food and, and they, they just sort of see without grasping. Dialogue is a reaction. That's rule number one. Rule number two, dialogue by and large for the most part is immediate. I'm talking about now. Even though maybe two days, three days, five days, six days ago, this seed was planted for how frustrated I was when it was time to re-record this for the umpteenth time and, and, and get my idea across. That seed was planted back then, but it's been percolating since. And at the point I'm talking, it's deep into that process. I'm not carrying Thursday night's frustration today. I've got a little bit of it. That seed germinated, though. That feeling metastasized. And now I've got Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday's sort of thoughts and feelings and change in my mood and change in the, organ in the organizing of my ideas to get the thing across. So... Dialogue is of the moment, and the, the, the sort of genesis point does not stay 100% the same. So let's do an example, just so you know what I'm talking about. Let's suppose we have two characters arguing. Let's say, I don't know, their relationship is ending, or there's a divorce impending, or something like that. So character A does something that pisses off character B on Monday. And you could react to it right in that moment. It could be whatever. I can't believe you, you, you drank out of the milk carton again or something. doesn't matter what it is specifically. But that action and that frustration, if it doesn't get expressed on Monday, it slips below the surface. It, it becomes an unspoken thing which grows into a resentment. And then any other activities that A and B do builds and adds to that resentment. Oh, I can't believe they leave their dirty laundry on the floor, their wet towels on the floor. You know, Why are they like this and why do they do that and why do they never let me finish a sentence? And everything snowballs together and builds up. And that's not because you've done a masterful job figuring out bad stuff. It's because you know that the dialogue that's coming is going to be a release valve to the pressure of all those things rolled up together. Because rule two 
is that dialogue, although it is a reaction, it is a reaction in space and context. Without context, you're not really reacting. Your dialogue is active. And when your dialogue becomes active, you actually lose agency for your characters because it starts becoming a little bit too clear. Ah, I will cross the street and save that old lady. Well, obviously go do that. The point is that it's reactive and it's a release valve of context in the moment. The habit, the writer thing to do to partner with these two ideas is to read your dialogue out loud. And if it sounds like somebody talking, if it sounds like something you would say, your dialogue is probably for the most part functional and working and doing what you want it to do. If not, if it feels forced, if all of a sudden you've elected to track down every mouth sound, every well and um and uh, and you've put it on the page as if we're supposed to get this incredible court transcript of everything, you're misunderstanding what dialogue does. It's not about tracking all the ums and uhs and hmm and hmm and and all the other mouth sounds. It's about getting across the idea and trusting your reader to be smart enough to know that all the ums and uhs and wells and whatever else is, the reader can insert those if they want. And they don't have to. You shouldn't require them to do so. But understand that the reader can fill in some of these blanks. And you don't need to lean heavily on ellipses if the character trails off. And you don't need to write out all the stammers and the stutters because it's weird when you do that. Don't, don't be weird. But if it sounds like you speaking, if it sounds like something you would say to communicate some idea in the moment, it's working. Now, I've said that before in the past, and people got real cranky because they assumed I was speaking about, you know, using modern vernacular or modern appropriated language or something like that, where all of a sudden in your historical romance period piece of the 1800s, one character is going to turn to the other character and go, Oh, dear sister, you're being quite sus today. And, and that's, that's not at all really what I'm talking about. That's not even close to what I'm talking about. It's not about bringing in modern vernacular. It's about making language sound natural, like regular people talking. And if you're somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience for whatever reason hearing people talk, like if, you, if the majority of your interactions are sort of flat or scripted relative to television, I would strongly recommend you consider in whatever mode of, of discussion you use, be it you know American Sign Language or something similar, that you you'd sort of transcribe it. <clears throat> Think about how somebody gestures and how emphatically and, and things like that and help put that in your language. The frustration of, no, I need your name or what the hell are you doing here getting signed, that, that still translates. You don't have to write this, you don't have to write your dialogue like you're writing the captions for the movie. That's not what dialogue does. Dialogue is a mode of expression that characters can use relative to the context you've created. Now, we'll talk more about the context in the coming sections of this, but the first thing you need to know when it comes to dialogue is not whether or not you've done the right amount or done too much, because if you're ever worried that you've done too much, you've probably done too much. You're not writing a screenplay. Unless you are. But if you're, if you're writing a novel, if you're writing just some, some straight-up prose, it should not necessarily be dialogue-heavy. 
Dialogue should not be the majority of the text. It doesn't all need to live in quotes. Exposition should be the majority stuff. The stuff not in quotes that's expressing the story. We'll talk about exposition, I think, tomorrow in part. But the, the overall idea with dialogue is that it's got to be a reaction. So you've got to set up these situations where the talking is a response to something that is happening or has happened, not not, critical point, not what will happen in the future because the characters don't know what's going to happen in the future. Don't tip your hand and give it away. Just have the characters react at, at the very least about something in the past and at most something that's happening in the present. Give that some thought and I'll talk to you tomorrow for part two of Every Sentence is a Camera 3.